0: Psalm 115. Not to us, O Lord, not to us, but to your name give glory, for the sake of your steadfast love and your faithfulness. Why should the nations say, Where is their God? Our God is in the heavens. He does all that he pleases. Their idols are silver and gold, the work of human hands. They have mouths but do not speak, eyes, but do not see. They have ears, but do not hear, noses, but do not smell. They have hands, but do not feel, feet, but do not walk, and they do not make a sound in their throat. Those who make them become like them. So do all who trust in them. O Israel, trust in the Lord May the Lord give you increase, you and your children. May you be blessed by the Lord who made heaven and earth. The heavens are the Lord's heavens, but the earth he has given to the children of man. The dead do not praise the Lord, nor do any who go down into silence. But we will bless the Lord from this time forth and forevermore.
1: Praise the Lord. I want you
2: to imagine for a moment that you're a marriage counselor. Maybe some of you are marriage counselors, but just, if you're not, just pretend for a moment. And you are working with two clients. Both of them have cheated on their husbands. Now, the first client, well, she tends to blame her husband for her own unfaithfulness. She says that if he had just paid more attention to her, then she wouldn't have felt the need to look elsewhere. She tends to minimize her own sin and to blame shift. Now, you're a counselor. You know how people work. And her attitude gives you little hope that their marriage can be restored. But the second client is different. She often sobs in your office. She tells you how confused she is that her husband is still with her. Her, or His forgiveness of her sins,
1: it has broken her heart. Now, her
2: attitude gives you great hope that that marriage can be restored. And this second woman, she is exactly the sort of person who could have written Psalm 115. See, after years and years of spiritual adultery with idols, ancient Israel has realized her error. And she now cries out in amazement over how good and faithful God is. Not her own faithfulness, but God's. Look at verse one, the opening line. It says, not to us, O Lord, not to us, but to your name give the glory for the sake of your steadfast love and for your faithfulness. Israel is dumbstruck by how gracious God has been and now sings a song praising his glory. Now, this psalm has two major parts, we'll see. The first is is a warning. Uh, the second part is a praise. Now, the warning is that idols can kill you. And the praise is that God can save you. It's bad news and good news. And if you get both of these things right, then you need to take hope because your relationship with God, it's being restored. You're giving God glory if you get these things right. So part one, the warning, idols can kill you. Now we're going to ask a couple questions about this. Uh, what are idols? Now, this is not a, a word that we use commonly, maybe American idol or something, but uh, that's the first question. How, what are idols? And second, how can they kill you? How can they kill us? So what are idols? Well, in the most basic sense of the word, idols, they were big old statues made out of stone or wood. They were carved to be humanoid shaped like a person or, or an animal. Sometimes it would be a mixture of both, maybe a, a person's body and a bull's head or something. And people would come and worship these idols because they thought that there was a, a deity like living inside of that idol. It was housed in it. And what they would do is they would bring an offering, grain, uh, animals, and they would burn these offerings in the idol's presence. Now, for a while, Israel fell into even child sacrifice uh, with an idol named Molech. But idol worship, it was normal. It was the commonplace practice of the ancient world. In the Old Testament time period, there are idols. And in the New Testament time period, there are idols. And it even continues today. Uh, Friends of ours, uh, of Elena and mine, in East Asia, they were telling us about there are idols in their city. Even trees around them, like outside their neighbor's house, they are are generally worshipped. But but let's go back in time. and, And see, what are the reasons that people would worship an idol? The reason is this. They wanted
1: something from that deity. They wanted something. So
2: imagine a young mother. The rains aren't coming in. The crops aren't growing. She looks and she sees her six kids. And she can already imagine what it's going to be like to dig holes for them. Because they're going to die in, in, in famine, in starvation. So what does she do? She takes her offering to the grain god. She goes and worships Baal or Dagon, one of these these images, these idols, because she wants something from it. Imagine the farmer who's worried about his flocks not reproducing and his wife, she keeps having miscarriages. What does he do? He takes his offering and he goes and worships a fertility idol. See, they, they want something. Now, often the worship around these idols, uh, it had uh, hedonistic sort of tendencies. Uh, In ancient Greece, we know this, especially in the time of the New Testament, there was lots of drunkenness and temple prostitution. But make no mistake, this is is how idols have been worshipped in uh, ancient Israel too. Uh, It leads people to sinful, debaucherous behavior. The point I'm trying to get across, though, is this. People worshipped idols because they thought they could get something from them. And that's why the psalmist writes verses five, six, and seven. It's because idols can't give you anything because they're not real. Look at, look at verse five. They have mouths, but do not speak. Eyes, but do not see. Look at verse six. They have ears, but they can't hear. Noses, can't smell. Verse seven, they have hands, but they can't feel. Feet, but can't walk. They make no sound in their throat. Idols can't give you what, they, uh, what what you want because there's nothing to them. They aren't real. Now, I say all that, and, and maybe we're getting a little smug, uh, uh, but the point of this is not to point out how silly idol worship is, how silly it is to pray for a stone statue that you could get bread. Because no, we have a hard pill to swallow this morning. This is what you, what you need to listen to if you've got ears to hear. Uh, we do the same thing.
1: We have idols too.
2: Now, they they aren't made of wood or stone. uh, But the way we can see them, which, which we're going to do here in a minute, the way we can know them is that just like they were killing the Israelites and led to their destruction and exile, so too are idols killing us. So we've got to find what's killing us. So how can idols kill us? That's going to help us here. Uh, Verse 8 explains it well. Please read along. They will will reshape us after their own image. Look at verse 8. Those who make them become like them. So do all who trust in them. That's the principle we're working with this morning. Is those who make and worship idols become like idols. That's what happened to ancient Israel. If you know the story of the Old Testament, how it starts with God's people, and they go into slavery, right after they come out of slavery, they build this golden calf at the foot of Mount Sinai. And what does the Lord say to them after they do it? He calls them a stiff-necked people. Now, maybe you read the Bible, you're like, stiff-necked? I I mean, sometimes I wake up with a stiff-necked. neck. is he getting at? Uh, Stiff-necked like a young cow that refuses to be led. It was an idiom. They became like what they worshipped. It was killing their humanity. And it leads to sin. The Apostle Paul, centuries after that, uh, he, writes that uh, he writes to the Colossians, and he says that their sexual impurity, their uh, impurity, passions, evil desires, their covetousness, all these sins in their life, these things that are hurting them in their relationships, he says that it is idolatry Those sins are idolatry.
1: And so they have to kill it before it kills them.
2: Now look again at verse 17 of our psalm. It says, The dead do not praise the Lord, nor do any who go down in silence. Because the people who worship dead idols become dead. The people who worship
1: silent idols become silent.
2: So now it's time to introspect. Where are idols killing us? They're killing us everywhere. The American novelist David Foster Wallace once famously said this, and and listen closely as I quote him. He said, There's no such thing as not worshiping. Everybody worships. The only choice that we have is what to worship. If you worship money, then you'll never have enough. If you worship your own body and beauty and sexual allure, you will always feel ugly. Worship power, you will feel weak and afraid. Worship your intellect, being seen as smart. And you will end up feeling stupid, a fraud, always on the verge of
1: being found out.
2: Now, David Foster Wallace wasn't writing from a Christian perspective, uh, but his analysis of idolatry was spot on. So how has your worship of idols nearly killed you? How has it changed you? How have you become like it? Uh, Lord Voldemort, he was once a normal-looking boy, but years of desiring what was forbidden left him snake-like, stripped of his humanity. So depending on your idols, I mean, you can ask yourselves questions like this. What has your obsession with your appearance done to you? What has your consumption of pornography done
1: to you? How quickly do you burn in anger when you worship control? Make no no mistake about it. Idols can kill
2: you. So that was part one, the warning. Idols can kill you. And look, I didn't I didn't say all that to try and make you feel bad. I, I said it because we need to hear it. It's the bad news before we get the good news. And all of us are guilty of this. And all of us have been deformed in some way by false worship. But don't forget for a second who it is that I said wrote this song. This is the song of the wayward bride of God, the forgiven wife of the Lord. This is a psalm for all sinners who call God their God because idols can kill you, but God can save you. And that's why we're studying this text today. God can rescue you. So part two, the good news, give God glory because God can rescue you. And maybe you think, well, of course, God can rescue us, Frank. Uh, God can do anything. He's God. But, friends, uh, the world says otherwise, and it's easy for us to believe them. Look at verse 2. The same thing happened in Israel's day. Verse 2 says, Why should the nations say, Where's their God? To the nations of the world, it had appeared that God had packed up his truck and left town and didn't want anything to do with Israel anymore. After all, I mean, they hadn't made him a statue yet. But more than that, they seemed more interested in the idols of the other nations. Now today, too, the world may look at us and say, where is their God, all these churchgoers? Because the church has fallen into idolatry time and time again. We have worshipped our idols. A common one that we can feel often is a desire for political power. And this sort of desire has led many to think that God was never among us in the first place. How can the church be good if so much of what she has done has been bad? And when we look at our own idolatry, we may feel the same way. Was God ever in us? How could uh, we have really sinned so badly if God was among us? But we're not going to find God by navel gazing, we have to look up. See verse 3. Our God is in the heavens. He does all that he pleases. And he's pleased to rescue us. That's what we find out in verses 9 to 18. He is pleased to rescue us. And he does this in a couple ways. The first one we'll look at is, he does this by being our help and our shield. And second, by blessing us.
1: So. God rescues us by being our
2: help and our shield. In verses nine to 11, all of Israel is to trust God. And why? Please look at verse nine. It says, because he is their help and their shield. And then look at verse 10. It ends it again saying, he is their help and their shield. In verse 11, he is their help and their shield. So we should probably pay attention to this phrase. He is their help and their shield. What is it getting at? Uh, What does it mean? Well, back in Abraham's day, who was kind of the founder of our faith. uh, God promised Abe that God himself would be Abraham's shield and that he would deliver him and rescue him from his enemies in times of peril. And God did it. In the days of the Exodus with Moses and the gang, God was Israel's help and shield. He defended her from Pharaoh and his armies, and he, uh, he, he brought her to the promised land. Fast forward centuries. King David, before he was king, even though he was anointed, he was on the run from a bad king named Saul. God defended him. Not just from Saul, the Philistines, even his own children like Absalom. God is Israel's help and shield. And on the day,
1: whenever we needed God most,
2: he was our help and shield too. Because when God came to earth, He should have judged us, you know. That's what we expected. That's what the scriptures had alluded to in several places. When God comes back, it's going to be bad news for sinners, and we're sinners. On that day, that terrible day, he showed that his purpose, his underlying purpose, it was to rescue us. God himself had become his own image in the person of Jesus Christ. And Jesus hung on that cross and became as dead as we deserve. Jesus's lips, those precious lips, which had so sweetly proclaimed the good news to the poor, they became silent. Those eyes, which gazed with compassion on the lowliest of sinners, they became sightless. Those ears, which were so attentive to his Father in heaven, and to the pleas for help of mankind, they ceased to hear. For as all shields do, Jesus stood between, between us and danger, and he became as dead as an idol, so that we might become alive. God is your help and shield, O oh,
1: Israel, won't you trust in the Lord? God can rescue you.
2: He's been your help and shield, but also He will bless you. God will bless you. Look at verse 12. It says, the Lord has remembered us. He will bless us. He'll bless the house of Aaron. He'll bless the house of Israel. He'll bless those who fear the Lord, the small and the great. He's blessing people. Now, uh, God's blessing, you may hear the word blessing. It just sounds like Christianese to you. What is God's blessing? God's blessing is the promise to give a wonderful life to those whom he loves. It's a promise to give a wonderful life to those whom he loves.
1: And that sounds real nice, and it is. So what's there to talk about? Well, we need to talk about it because we don't believe it. There's part of us that doesn't
2: believe he wants us to have a wonderful life. We get lonely, we get scared. We get hungry for this and that and we cannot have and it drives us crazy. And like lightning, we are quick to say that God doesn't want to bless us. And just like Eve with that serpent in the garden, we believe the same lie. We think God doesn't want what's best for us. So maybe some of you, you look at verse 14 in today's text and you see the blessing that the Lord would increase you and your children, but you think, I wish I had kids. I wish I had children, but he hasn't given them to me. Some of you read verse 16 and see the blessing that he's given the earth to mankind to enjoy. But you think, life is so painful on earth that I wish I wasn't on this planet anymore. And though you might not say it out loud ever, deep down part of you has thought, I mean, yeah, it's it's okay that I, I, I believe in Jesus and I have salvation in the future. But the here and now feels like hell. And it's in moments like these, when we feel like God is holding back what we need, that is when we are most tempted to worship a dead idol. We're like a kid whose mom tells the kid, no candy. So the kid goes and asks dad, except instead of asking dad, we're asking some creep who wants to hurt us. Now, we really need to believe that God will bless us, that he's really going to give like a full-armed, fully-loaded, deluxe edition blessing. Because uh, so many religions, so many religions around the world, they tell us that to have a good life, you have to transcend this desire to have a good, earthly, blessed life. That if you want to be happy, you have to shuck off your body. You have to cease
1: to care about things. But that's
2: not the blessing God promises. In verse 16, he says that he has given the earth to the children of man. All those longings that you have, all of them, every desire that burns through our veins, it needs to be redeemed and restored and brought back into the image of God that we were made in. To have its proper place because it's there for a reason. This is the act that theologians call sanctification. It's where that that image of God in us that has been so twisted and distorted by idolatry, it's reshaped into the image of God that we were made in. And when our bodies and our souls are made new, when heaven and earth are made new, then we will experience the satisfaction, the blessing that we've been waiting for. And it pleased God to do
1: this. That's why he saved you.
2: And in light of that blessed day, in light of how he is our help and our shield, how he took the arrow for us, dying on the cross, let us bless him both today and forever. Look at verse 18. Like, let this be the song on our lips. But we will bless the Lord from this time forth and forevermore. Praise the Lord. For those who are connected to God, who worship him, being remade in his image. You're not going to go down in silence. You're not going to know death forever. You will bless him forevermore. So, we'll close with this. Here we are. Resurrection Church and friends who have gathered here. We are a gathered group of spiritual
1: adulterers. How can we give God glory? We can
2: do it by recognizing that idols can kill us. And we can rejoice that God has rescued us. All other lovers are rubbish. Let's cast them aside. It's time to return home because he's willing to make things work. He wants you to have a blessed life and there's great hope that you can. That's what he wants. As the hymn says, From heaven he came and sought her to be his holy bride. With his own blood he bought her, and for her life he
1: died. Let's pray.
2: Not to us, O Lord, not to us, but to your name give glory. For your steadfast love, for your faithfulness, we ask that you would sanctify us. Renew in us your image, which we have damaged through idolatry. We will bless your name until you return. In the name of Jesus Christ, amen.